If you got your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We have worked our way through the book of Colossians. We spent six or seven weeks in chapter 1, spent two weeks in chapter 2, and in chapter 3, we're going to spend several weeks in it as well. Um, but Colossians was a great book for theology. Um, theology is the study of God. Um, theology is what we know about God or what we understand about God. And, uh, and it's important to know what we, what we believe because that affects how we behave. And uh, if you look to the world today, people are behaving because of the way that they believe. And, and when we, uh, in our country, our culture, in a church, when you're not sure about theology or what you believe about God or what you believe about the Bible, it affects how you behave. And so that's why Paul, when he's writing to this little book here, or this little letter to the church at Colossae, he was telling them, uh, what you believe uh, affects the way you behave. Chapters 1, chapter 2, he's telling us what to believe. And now chapter 3, he's going to tell us how to behave. He's going to tell us what that looks like lived out in our life, what it looks like in our marriages, what it looks like with our children, what it looks like with our jobs, what it looks like in our schools and in our church. So he's going to get very practical. And what good is theology if you, don't have, if you can't apply it to your life, if it's not practical? And I love Colossians because I'm a very practical guy. Um, I'm not much into philosophy or, you know, a lot of deep thinking stuff. Um, Robert smiled because he's probably thinking that's why he's a Florida Gator. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> anyhow if you think about it, I'm not really a, 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 that type of guy. I'm a practical guy. I like it to know what I believe and then how to apply it to my life. Paul was great like that, too. He was a great pastor. He, he could get as deep as anyone. Colossians chapter 1 um, is a book, it's just one chapter you can study for uh, a year of your life and really never understand all the truths in chapter 1. Um, that's how deep chapter 1 is. It's one of those chapters in the Bible where, you know, it's just, it's just one of those chapters that can go as deep as you want to go and, uh, and, and be really, you know, inexhaustible in its, in its riches and with its beliefs. And so chapter 2 comes and he shows us the deficiency of believing in isms. We talked about intellectualism, legalism, and liberalism, right? Those are three things that we talked about. And uh, as we take a look this morning, chapter 3 is going to tell us what lordship is all about. And, um, you know, for us in Colossians, really, the overall picture is the picture of who Christ is. Um, Christ is the Savior. He is the preeminent Savior of all the world. And in chapter 1, when he gets done, he said, there's no doubt uh, he is a firstborn of overall creation. He's greater than angels. He's greater than things visible or invisible. He's greater in any dominion, any principality, any power. He's before all things and in them all things consist. He's the head of all things. He is preeminent. He is number one without question, the greatest that there ever is. He is the only one that's ever like who he is in Christ. And you know, every generation we talk about this in sports, for those who are sports fans, you know, the greatest of all times, uh, the GOAT. Um, and so I was telling them earlier in the service when my, my kids called me a goat. Yeah, that, I thought they meant like an old goat, you know what I mean, or this, that, and the other. But really, if a young person calls you a goat today, they're giving you a compliment, you know. Well, so they tell me that. Anyways, maybe they're playing a joke on me. But, you know, in my day when you called somebody an old goat, you were making in front of them. You know, like being an old goat. But uh, if you talk about the goat of all time, you talk about basketball, obviously Michael George's the, the goat. If you say anybody else, you're, you know, you're not true anyhow. But. You know, you got Michael Jordan, you got Larry Bird. 
I wouldn't even name somebody plays today because they couldn't make it in the 80s or 90s the way that basketball was, right? In football, you had the debate NFL, you know, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, you know, Gardner Minshew, whoever you want to put in that question, right? Uh, you know, in, in, in college football and ESPN, as sad as it is, the only thing you can do is look at their little polls that they had. They had some of the greatest college football players of all time. They went through by position quarterback. Um, by the way, Tim Tebow was the number one quarterback uh, in college football. Sorry, um, Jameis Winston, Mr. John, I already told him that. And uh, there was no Georgia quarterbacks up there either, Tamron, So or Tennessee. I don't even think Tennessee had a quarterback to put on there. But anyhow, they didn't even have them on there. Uh, but, uh, you know, running backs and arrests, uh, greatest of all time, they have lists, they have stats, they have their arguments. They all bring it to the table and say, this is why this is the greatest of all time. Listen, with Christ, there's no comparison. There's no one you can stand next to Christ and who he was and what he did and say, here's a comparison, here's someone who's like them, here's their stats, because Christ was superior to all. Philippians chapter 2, 10 and 11, that every name, uh, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those in heaven, those under the earth, those uh, on the earth, every tongue can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul says he nails it down 100%, no doubt about it. Don't even think twice about it. Christ is preeminent in all things, 100%. He is, he is the express image of who God is, and there is nothing else that can do that. So anything or anything you believe that brings Christ down to our level or to the level of, of something other than who he was, Paul says that's when false teachings come in. When you add something to Christ or you take away something from Christ, that's when the false teachings rob you or cheat you or keep you from being all that you can be in Jesus Christ. They will steal away your belief, which will steal away your behavior, which will steal away your identity and who Christ is. And so we talked about a little earlier, intellectualism or philosophy, man's wisdom. Uh, Paul showed us the, the negative side of that. That as we think we can be smarter than God, uh, that we think we can think our way or believe our way, or maybe we say positive thinking or meditation or, or meditation of the mind can change your flesh or your earthly standing. No, Paul says it can't do it. Uh, freedom, liberalism, um, just satisfy your fleshly desires, whatever, however, whenever makes you happy, fulfill it. Get as many desires and pleasures that you want. Do them until you're full, and then your heart will be full, and you'll be satisfied. The only problem with that is the more you do sin in your sin nature, the more that you feel empty and you feel, vain, and you feel vain. Solomon said, I had everything the world had to offer. I had power. I had money. I had, I had uh, every pleasure you could ever imagine. And he says that sum to it all was vanity of vanities, empty, empty like a vapor. Legalism, we talked about that last week. It's the opposite of liberalism. This is adding to Christ. Uh, it's imposing on yourself a set of rules or do's or don'ts to try to earn the favor of God. It's saying that you can be a good enough person. You can go to church. You can do this. You can do that. Um, I was teasing when I was growing up, they had a little stain of, you know, legalism is don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. That's basically it. If we tell our kids to do that, then, uh, then, 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 then that will take care of it. You won't have the desire to act bad. You won't have the desire to do the wrong things. The problem with that is that our sinful nature will never be starved out. You can't ever discipline yourself enough in our nature. 
Uh, when we're put in those situations, we will revert back to it and we will do what our, our nature tells us to do um, because that's no rules or set of regulations, not rules from your parents, not rules from your community, um, not living in a, a world with no electricity or no power or, or living on top of a tree like the monks used to do back in the 1800s. None of that has fulfillment over the body. None of it. Paul says it is all vanity and doesn't work. So chapter 2, he spent all of chapter 2 talking about the deficiency of believing in other things other than Christ. So then chapter 3 comes along and you say, well, that's brought us to a bleak place. That brought us to the place where there's nothing we can do, so what must we do? Well, Paul comes in chapter 3 and he opens up verse chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. We're going to read it this morning. We're going to go back and take a look at it. It says, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now in our rendering, I read to you, if is really since. Um, you could say since, since Christ, or you were raised with Christ. If chapter 1 and chapter 2 is true, chapter 3 is true as well. If, if you're not in chapter 1 and chapter 2, then you can't go for chapter 3. Chapter 3 only comes after you go through chapter 1 and chapter 2. So he's saying, since chapter 1 and chapter 2 is true, look what happens. Since you were raised with Christ, since you've come to be a Christian... Since you are in Christ, that's what the Bible teaches, that's what Colossians 1, chapter 1 tells us, that we are dead in Christ, we are dead without Christ in our spiritual life, and when Christ comes into us, a resurrection happens, right? The same, like the same resurrection, His resurrection from the dead, our spiritual life comes to life, um, and, and through that, we now have life. We are now a living, breathing, spiritual being connected with God. So Christ died on a cross for our sins. He was buried in the tomb. He was resurrected. That's what the gospel is. And that's what we live by. We were, we, were dead in, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We've trusted in Jesus Christ. And now he's resurrected our heart and life. And we are not the same. We are, we are radically different than what we were before. Like, like we only had the flesh. We only had the earthly desires. But now, since you are in Christ, now you have a new nature. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. Like, like there's a radical change. There's not a reformation. There's a resurrection. There's not a try harder or do better. It's a whole changing of the heart. So we don't need reformation or a system set of rules. We need resurrection. And so for us as Christians, now we have this new desire in us. Paul says it's automatic. It happens and it's automatic, uh, much like when you have a new child. A new child has automatic and built into him. There is, there is a need for food and there's a need for shelter and there's a need to be loved. That's automatic in a new birth, in a new life. Well, as a spiritual life, when you are saved, all of a sudden you have new desires and new wants and new things. And Paul is telling him in chapter 3, these are the things that you should desire. You seek those things which are above, and you set your mind on things which are above. So, 
So in our pursuing of who we are and our pursuing of our minds, now we see heavenly things. We see things of a perspective as God sees them. We no longer only see it our way or the earth's way or a man's point of view. Now we have a perspective from a heavenly point of view, from a godly point of view. And, and, you know, the word seek here is a strong word. It carries the ideal of a strong pursuit. Um, it's much like an Olympic athlete pursuing a gold medal, that, that they are straining, striving, pushing forward, seeking those things. He's saying in our life as Christians, we should be seeking, striving, pushing through, not, not because you have to, but because you want to. Not because you, 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 you need to, but because you, you want to. And, and with any relationship that's true, that's built on love, that's the way it works, right? I mean, when you're a parent and you have a child, there's a lot of things that, that goes into having a child. I was talking to a guy um, this week. He was telling me about, you know, helping to get enough money to retire and he says, you know, if I didn't have three kids, I would already been retired, right? And, and I got to thinking, think about how much work and effort and time goes into raising children, right? But, but it's not that you have to do it. As parents, it's a privilege to do that, right? Well, most of the time, okay? All right, most of the time it is. And maybe you get those 18 years, maybe 20, 25 for some. But anyhow, however long it takes to be, uh, you, you get those years, and, and, and for us, uh, even with Aaron and I, as we this month uh, coming up, you know, Tucker's going to be turning 18, Tanner's going to be turning 16, stay off the highways, the sidewalks, and anything in St. John's County because he's going to be driving. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully he's going to be driving if he passes his test. But uh, anyhow, and then Courtney's going to be 11. So we think about it, how fast it has went by, 18 years already. Just seems like yesterday he was born, you know, and now all of a sudden he's legally what they call an adult um, being 18 years old, how fast it happens. But as you look back on it, we wouldn't trade it for anything because it wasn't that we had to do those things. We wanted to do those things because we loved them and we cared for them. Same with a marriage. Uh, a marriage, you don't have to spend time with your wife. You get to spend time with your wife. You want to spend time with your wife. Or you want to spend time with your husband. You want those things. You want to take care of them. You don't have to. It's not a burden. It's not, it's not something you have to do. It's a desire that comes when you seek, when you strive, that you get to do these things. You want to serve God. It's a matter of lordship in your life. It's a matter that Christ has saved you, and out of His love and His mercy and His grace and understanding what He's done for us, we have a desire now to seek those things that are above, set our minds on those things, or focus on those things. Set your affections, that's another way of saying set your mind. It means put your attention on, to, to focus on it, to, to, to take an outlook directed towards the things of God, not only things of the world. So it, it, what he's saying is now that you're saved or now that you have a relationship with Christ, you think heavenly, you seek heavenly values and outlooks. You have a different outlook on life. You, you start to see things from God's point of view and not just your point of view. And you, see, you, you stop seeing so much just from an earthly perspective and you see it from a perspective that God might see in eternity. And, and you think about it, multitudes of people in our world today, all they live for is what they see. It's all temporary. It's all just earth dwellers. In the book of Revelation, I've used, said this before, there's a little phrase. It's, it says that those who dwell on the earth, 
It talks about those who are ruling with Christ and those who are with heaven and those who are serving in God's kingdom. And then it will go back to those who are ruling our, or those who are dwelling on earth. Those who are dwelling on earth. And the, literally the word means earth dwellers. It means that they live their life with no eternal perspective at all. That they have, that God is nowhere in their equation at all. It means that people have made up their mind, this world is all they're going to desire, and they go after everything of this world and they neglect everything of God. And it's much like, you know, those horses you see in St. Augustine pulling the carriages, and they have to put those blinders on them, and they put those blinders on them so they don't see all the other things in the, uh, uh, out there that's beyond what they see right in front of them and what they're doing on their job of pulling the carriage. It's the way that some people are as 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 People who live here on this earth, they put blinders on and they don't see God's blessings. They don't see God's work in their life. They don't see God in the world. All they see is what's right in front of them. Just, just earth dwellers, things that only have to do things of the earth. Philippians 3.19, Paul says they, they mind earthly things. They never think about the heavenly perspective or they never think about God's perspective or eternity. Only the things of the earth. You think about it. People are looking for several things. One, they, they want to have things. Listen, it's great to have things. I like nice things. I like air conditioner, right? Amen, especially in Florida, right? Uh, you, you like air conditioner. You like nice cars. You like nice trucks. You like nice houses. And you like possessions. And it's okay to have things. But the problem is when things have you, right? That all, If all you pursue is these things in life and you never and you never look to God, and you never are grateful for Him. You never see God beyond your things. Listen, it's okay to have things, but it's not okay for them to have you. So, so if you're earthly dwelling, you're thinking about those things, all you think about is possessions, and you see people like that. You see people, we used to call it keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the next person. The next person got to get a bigger boat, a nicer car, a better truck, a better house, and they constantly live their whole life trying to get more and more and more possessions. The problem is, the more is never enough. I mean, if you get a car, you get a truck, somebody's going to get a nicer car or another truck, right? Um, this week I was watching uh, some of the ads come up, and the Ford Bronco's back. Can you believe that, right? The Ford Bronco is back. Um, someone said, yeah, well, if you had the Ford Bronco, is back. And, uh, you know, you look at it and you think about it. I thought back when I had a Ford Bronco. I had a 1978 Ford Bronco. Can you believe that? Man, I thought that thing was going to be the greatest thing ever. I went over to the north side and picked it up. And I said, that's where you first went wrong, right? <laughs> Anyways, that's when you could go safely to the north side. But anyway, I went to the north side. And I remember coming over the Dames Point Bridge with it. My dad was behind me. And I thought, man, this was going to be the end-all to end-all trucks. And uh, at right almost to the top of the thing, it started chugging a little bit. And then I thought, oh, boy, it's not going to make it. <laughs> I thought, here, I'm going to get stuck on the top of the Dames Point Bridge or this brand new, this Bronco that I bought. It wasn't brand new. But then, so I made it down the other side. Sure enough, I got it home. And, and the lady said, yeah, well, the muffler fell off. Of, we never put it back on there. You know, this, that, and the other. It, ran, it was running great. You know, she gave me the whole spill. So Anyhow, I got it home, got a muffler for it, put it on there. And the reason why the muffler was off of it, because the rod was knocking so loud <laughs> that she took the muffler off so you couldn't hear the rod knocking. So and let me tell you, if you don't know anything about engines, rod knocking is not good. So I had to put a whole new engine in it. And once so I got the engine in it, then it needed a paint job. Then it needed a new rear end. Then it needed, and it was constantly 
one of the worst things that I ever bought. And let me tell you, when the guy pulled it out of my driveway after I sold it, that was one of the happiest days of my life. Something that I thought was going to make me so much fulfillment happening, guess what? It brought me nothing but misery. Because every time I looked in a magazine or every time I saw someone else with a new Bronco, I thought, man, that's what mine's going to look like. And guess what? It didn't look like that. It didn't run like that. Every time you buy a car, every time you buy a truck, this is the latest, the greatest, the best there's ever going to be. There's another one that comes out with more horsepower. There's another one that's nicer. There's another one that's got more than you got. So it, going after possessions will never satisfy you. They, they also are interested in being happy, having fun, and pleasure. That as long as they feel good, that's all they're interested in. Another thing, as long as they have some sort of worth or significance in life. That's what they want. They want things. They want pleasure. And they want significance. And all those things are not bad. But if that's all you pursue in life, you're going to end up empty. Because this world can't fulfill those things. It can't fulfill those things in your life. And, and you enter into bad relationships and you buy bad things and you, you end up doing things with your life that you're not supposed to be doing, thinking it's going to satisfy you. And guess what? It doesn't satisfy you. And then it leaves you empty. And then it leaves you dry. Then it leaves you unsatisfactory. And what Paul is saying as Christians, don't just pursue the things of the world. Pursue the things of God. Since you are a Christian, your desires and your focus and your heart now should be focused on the things of God. You should have a heavenly perspective. You will have a perspective that the world does not have. And, and for us as Christians, we find our value, we find our treasure, we find all those things in Christ. It's found in Christ, as he says, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So you apply this to our life when we think about it, as we think about Paul's admonishment here. There are three things that God gives us that we have in our lives that he gives us that we are stewards over. Steward is a manager. We don't own them, but God gives them to us as blessings. And you've heard this if you've been to this church for a while. There are three T's, time, talents, and treasure. Listen, God gives you time. Every day you get up is a blessing from God. Think about that. Every bit that God gives you on this earth, every time that he gives you, every day he gives you, every week he gives you, every month he gives you, every year he gives you, it is a blessing. No one is promised tomorrow. If you have today and you woke up today, he is giving you today. And you are to be a steward over the time that you have today. He has given us time. He's given us talent. God has given each one of us a gift as a Christian to serve the kingdom of God. No one will ever be able to tell God, I would have served your kingdom or helped your kingdom if I would only had a gift. Uh, 1 Peter 4.10, it's one of our core values of serving. It's written on a wall. We put, it in our, we put it in our core values. As each one has received a gift from God, everyone has at least one gift. Some has more than one, but everyone has at least one gift to serve the kingdom of God. This morning, Mr. John was teasing me, and he said, since I had an extra spot up here for, us, for me to sing with them, trust me, you would not have wanted me to sing with them, all right? That is not one of the gifts or talents that I have. But God has blessed people with talent to, to sing, to serve, to worship, to administrate, to teach, to, to share, to encourage, to pray, to do those things that he has gifted people to do, have compassion for people. He's given you that gift, and he says, you are a steward over that. I've given it to you. Time, I've given you talent, and I've given you treasure. Listen, that's not your house. That's the house that God has given you. 
That's not your paycheck. That's the, that's the paycheck God has given you. That's not your home or your neighborhood. That's the neighborhood God has given you. He has given you those, those things. He's, he's given us time. He's given us talents. And he's given us treasure. And when we look to those things, and we apply what Paul says here in chapter 3. He's saying, since you have time, talents, and treasures, how have you sought or focused on using them for the good of God's kingdom? How have you used them in a perspective that's not of this earth, but of a heavenly manner? And, you know, several weeks ago, I talked about the circles of influence in our life. And, you know, in our world today, everybody wants to change our world Everybody wants to change our country. Everybody wants to change our communities. Everybody wants to change our churches. Everybody wants to change our homes. But I, I said this so easy for us as Christians. Listen, if we're going to change the world, we've got to change our country. If we're going to change our country, we have to change our community. If we're going to change our community, we've got to change our church. If we're going to change our church, we've got to change our family. If we change our family, we've got to change ourselves, right? That's our circles of influence. God has put you in a place to where you have relationships in your life and you have yourself, you have your family, you have, you have your community, you have your country, and you have your world. And, and if you looked at that and you say, time, talents, and treasures, what, is, what am I doing for myself or in my life that is helping me seek and to set my mind on the things of God? How, just take this week. <clears throat> you have seven days this week. You had 24 hours a day. You had six, you know, you had all the, you had the time, you subtract the time that you sleep, and you, you look at the time that you had together, uh, or that you had for yourself, and you ask yourself, how much of that time did I spend setting my mind on the things of God? If you had a list of all of the hours that you spent this week, and you'd say, how much time did I spend praying? How much time did I spend reading my Bible? How much time did I spend in worship of God? And listen, when we think about it in those perspectives, I guarantee you the things of the world would list all these times that we spent. And maybe it's just as simple as scrolling through Facebook or watching a TV show or a movie. Like, we have no problem watching a two-hour movie, but when we go to pray for two hours, it's like, wow, I, there's no way possible I could do that. Or when we read our Bible or sharing with a friend or talking to a neighbor, those, those type of things in our own personal life, how do we spend our time in, in spending it with God. Listen, you think about with our country and our world today, there's plenty of things to pray about. Listen, Wednesday night we're talking about prayer, talking about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, more now than ever, I'm more convicted about not being a, more of a prayer warrior. Like, like there's a lot of time that I waste in my day that I could be praying for the things of God that I don't. And listen, for you and for me, as we take a look at the time that we have and the impact that we have, how much time do we really spend praying? And listen, maybe you spend 10 minutes in the morning or 10 minutes at lunch or 10 minutes in the other day. That's 30 minutes by the end of the day. Listen, that's 30 minutes of praying for people in our church. Lots of people to pray for. Me and Miss Alyssa was talking about this week, praying for Mr. Bo, praying for Miss Diane. Praying for people's families and homes and troubles and trials. Listen, there are people that are hurting. There are people that are going through hard things. Even when we watch the news or when we see people uh, hurting and, and we look to people's lives, do we pray for them? Do we spend time doing those? Do we set our things on, a, on our minds uh, on the things that are above? And so for us, our time. Then think about your talents. You know, God has given you a gift. A lot of people take that gift and they make money with it. They have a good job with it. They, 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 they gain popularity with it. But 
But as, as we looked at that, the gift that God has given us as a platform for us to use it for a higher purpose than just getting enjoyment out of it. So I know I mentioned that, uh, for those who don't know, I'm a Florida Gator fan. Like, I do like the Florida Gators. And one of the reasons why I like it when I was growing up, they had a quarterback named Danny Warfel. And uh, as you were going through the process, every time he had a chance, he would always say, he would always tell people about Jesus Christ. He was always witnessing for the Lord. Then later on, as my kids were growing up, that Tim Tebow comes along, and he was talking about the Lord. So it's really the Lord's team. That's why the sky is blue. I mean, the sky is blue and the sun is orange. You know what I mean? Orange and blue. Think about that. I mean, what's the chances of that, right? I mean, he really is a Gator fan. But anyhow, I've just seen if you guys are awake. But if you think about it, uh, in, in our lives, in, in our talents given, one thing that Tim Tebow said that of all his accolades in college football and, and the things that he had, the Heisman Trophy and everything, he said, it's all just a platform for me. It's a platform for me to be able to share the gospel and to do the heavenly work or the kingdom work that God has me to do. And listen, if he looks at his gift and he looks at his way like that, why don't we look at that like that in our lives? Listen, God has put you on a job with a gift to be able to do that job, but he's also put you there to influence someone else for the gospel, for to do heavenly work, to teach people or to share with people or to tell people about Christ. So with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure, when we look to the things that we spend our money on, when we look to the things that we invest in. Listen, many times I get on Amazon and I'll buy something, it'd be $20, $30, $40, I get it, it's all junk. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not worth anything. But yet when someone asks me for $20, it's kind of hard to do that. You know what I mean? It's like kind of hard to give somebody money or give them this or do that or invest it in the things that God might put on your heart. Sometimes it checks us up, but yet for little things or trivial things we have no problem with. But for us as Christians, when we look at and we evaluate and say, how about the things that God has given me? How have I impacted the kingdom of God with those? I could spend money on gas. I could spend money on a car payment. I could spend money on a nicer house or improvements to our house. But yet, when it comes to the work of God, I, I, I kind of draw back. I don't use that for the kingdom of God. That, and that's what Paul is saying. In those times, in the time, in the talent, in the treasure, since you are a Christian, since you have new desires in your heart, you are to seek those things of heaven. You are to set your minds on the things above. And so, working down to verse 3, he comes out of verse 3, and he says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Literally, what he's saying is, it's not your life anymore. Here's the key to the whole thing. It's surrender. It is surrender that when we understand the power of surrender in our life and our complete surrender to God. Listen, this week on Wednesday night, I was preaching through the Lord's Prayer, and us to the to the second, or not even through the whole first part of it, but to the third phrase, you know, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And, and for that scripture and the heart of that prayer is that, God, it's not my will, but your will be done in my life. It's not my kingdom, it's your kingdom. And it's a surrendering of saying it's not all about me, it's all about God. And for us to surrender our heart and our, our, our lives to that, what Paul is saying here in verse 3, he's saying, you died. We, we give up our life so that we are surrendered in Him and we are hidden with Christ in God, meaning that now our life is Christ. And when we live our life, we live it for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, for us, I know it's hard. 
But Paul has got to a point in his life in Philippians where he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about that. He had so surrendered to the heart and to the mission of God that he said, for him to live is Christ. In our hearts and our lives, how many of us can say, for me to live is Christ? But yet Paul is saying that's the spiritual maturity. That's where we need to get. That's where we need to get so that when we understand we are resurrected with Christ and we understand we've completely surrendered to him, that we seek those things which are above and we set our mind on things above, not things of the earth. That's the heart that we should have. That's the passion that we should have. Listen, as Christians, we should desire those things. We should want those things. And if it's not, then there's something wrong. Either you are not saved or you have not really trusted in Christ. You don't have chapter 1 and chapter 2 right. Or this is the other problem. You haven't fully surrendered your heart to him. Listen, when we come to our heart and our schedule, who sets the schedule in our life? Who sets our passions? Who sets our focus If we're surrendered to God, we should let God do it. I've said this before, and so true. When we come to God, many times we have a list, and we make it out, and we say, God, sign this list. I want to be married at this age. I want to have this many kids. I want to make this much money. I want to live in this community. And we list out everything that we want to do and say, God, sign this list. Please do this list. No. If we're truly surrendered to Christ... We should take a blank sheet of paper, sign our name to the bottom of it, and say, God, you fill in the blanks. Whatever your will is, I am surrendered to it. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to be completely surrendered to you so that I can see the blessings of God, so I can have that heavenly perspective, so I can set my mind on things above, so I can seek those things which are above, and I can seek the things of God in my life because... If you follow through one through three, number four is true as well. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Think about that. That when we live with a heavenly perspective, it's not temporary. It's not short-sighted. It's not just what will happen on this earth, but it's what will happen in eternity. That when Christ appears, who is our life, then we will also appear with him in glory. That if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. That in his kingdom, when it's all said and done, that we will appear with him in glory. Not in shame, not in disgrace, but in glory. That we understand that it is all about God's kingdom. That, that when our life is over, and it will be over. Like I said, we only get a certain amount of time. And it's going to end. It, it will end. And when our life ends, have we been a part of something greater than us? Have we been a part of something and understanding of the things of eternity? Or have we just kept our own lives and our own things, and we've been an earth dweller? Paul says, as Christians who are seeking the things of God, who have been saved, are in Christ, then this will be true in you, and you will appear with Christ in glory. So we think about this week, as we apply this to our lives. Uh, In chapter 1, if you just take the first three chapters we're talking about, do you believe that Jesus Christ is a Savior? Do you believe what Christ has done and who He says He is? Because if you do then Paul says what you do is you are in Christ, meaning that you place your faith, you trust in Christ, and you become a new creation. And and if you've never done that, that's what you need to do this morning. You need to place your faith in Jesus Christ because chapter 2 is true. 
Maybe you've tried religion. Maybe you've tried harder. Maybe you wanted to do better. All those things will never satisfy the things of God. But yet, in Christ and in Christ in you, chapter 3 is true. We can take our time, our talents, and our treasures. We can seek those things which are above, and we can set our minds on the things that are above, and we can fulfill God's plan and purpose for our life. Listen, above all else, don't you want God's will be done in your life? That's what Paul is saying here. Not only his will, but his process and his part of his life that he makes for you and for me. As we serve God, we keep a heavenly perspective, and he does his work and his will in our life today. Let's pray together.